Blog Talk Radio. Hey everybody, it's your girl Cy Brown. Today is Monday and you know what we do on Monday. We learn life lessons from other coaches and other people who can impart words of wisdom into our life. That's what we do here on Life Remix Radio because you know it's about rethinking everything we know about everything we know about everything we know to live the best life possible. You know, that's, that's how we get down. Big shout-out to everybody who joined me last Friday, because last, last Friday's show was amazing. I interviewed R&B singer Case. That interview was so hot. I mean, it, it, was, it was just a great interview. I'm excited because he came on board to talk about his album. Everybody was real excited. And then you also remember that we um, that I talked to him, and he had his dress rehearsal um, last night, and he has album releases and things like that happening in and around New York City for the next couple of days. So I'm going to see if his people can get with my people, who can get with his people, who can get with me, to let me at least get my little toe in the door so I can hang out with Case. <laughs> Maybe what I'll do is get some video, see if I can toss it up on my blog. It's all good. Today our life lesson comes from Master Coach, the father of life coaching, Mr. Tony Robbins. And really the first thing we're going to talk about today is rules and how to and how rules dictate our life, how rules um, kind of guide the decisions that we make. So let's jump right into today's show. It's your girl Cy Brown right here for liferemixradio.com. Just want to let you know before we get today's show started that the chat room is open. Just click the little green button and you will be able to access our chat room. And for those who may miss the show or are catching this, don't forget you can download today's show through iTunes. Just click iTunes, check out, uh, do a search for liferemixedradio.com, and uh, you'll be all set to go.
Well, here's the day you've been waiting for, our goal-setting workshop, day 12. Let's go for it. Before we do, let me just give you a couple of quick instructions. Number one, this tape is designed specifically to be real-time. What I mean by that is, in some of the tapes previously, I've been giving you a lot of instruction and exercises at the end of the tape. In this program, you're going to be doing the exercises while the tape is going. The reason why is traditionally I did tapes in the past where I had people do a goal-setting workshop and I gave them instructions, and at the end of the tape they were supposed to do it. Our research showed that many people did not follow through. So this is a real-time tape. It's designed to prompt you to really follow through. So here are a few key elements. One, you can't do this in your car and be effective. So if you're in your car right now, what I suggest you do is wait to listen to this tape until later on when you're at home. Two, put the phone on hold or take it off the hook. The, one of the biggest challenges that happens for people is they get interrupted in the middle of their goal-setting workshop. You don't want that to happen. Let people know you can't be disturbed. You're just going to focus all of your power on creating a compelling future that will really drive you to use all of your ability and skill to make your life the way you really want it to be. So that's what this is about. And three, leave the tape running. I've designed this program so that whatever period of time we've given you for an exercise, I'll be with you or we'll have some music going. When the music is complete, it's time for the next exercise, and I'll come on and give you that information. But again, please, write for the entire time you hear the music. Don't get lazy. Keep your pen moving. This is designed to be a workshop or a fun shop, if you will, but you've got to get yourself to do it. And along the way, I'll be saying a few things to you just to trigger your mind a little bit. But as soon as the music is done and I come back on, we'll move on to the next exercise. Again, though, I want to reinforce, please keep your pen moving the entire time the music's on. Make sure you take full advantage of the time you hear. Don't let yourself get lazy. Push yourself. By the way, a lot of times I have people tell me things like, well, Tony, you know, you're successful in your life because, you know, after all, you're so motivated. I'm just lazy. I tell people, you're not lazy. You just have infinite goals. <laughs> what we want to do here is get some goals that will drive you. And goals have got some power behind them. And the way to do that is, number one, remember what we talked about yesterday. Realize that right now you're about to create a real future that can make a major difference for you. That right now you're not just writing words down on a page. That even though you don't know how this is going to happen yet, that if you get something that you really want and you make it strong enough and you find strong enough reasons, you will find a way. I've done goal-setting workshops like this and seminars for years. And what's amazing is the kinds of results that people generate. I remember where a woman stood up and said, I want to set a major set of financial goals, and that's part of what we're going to do in this workshop. She said, I want to make $100,000, and I want it in the next seven weeks. The challenge I had when she said this was, hey, wait a second. I mean, seven weeks is too short a period of time. This woman has never made over $30,000 in a year in personal income. How in the heck is she going to make $100,000, especially when she has no plan? Now, while on the one hand, I'm not supportive of just setting goals arbitrarily like that, on the other hand, who am I to say what you're really capable of or not capable of? I think it's true that sometimes people set up goals that aren't realistic, meaning they really have no clue how it can be pulled off. But I also know that there's tremendous power if you get committed enough. And so as I started to tell this woman, well, maybe you ought to relook at your goal, she was so strong about it that I decided to just let her keep it. Who am I to stand in her way? And a good thing I didn't. Six and a half weeks later, she won the lottery and made exactly $100,000. Now, what's really interesting about this story is six months later, she came back to a seminar, and we talked about in the seminar what she had done. She set another goal that within six months this time, it wasn't quite as urgent, 
she'd make $150,000. Well, she made $200,000, again, through a lottery. Now, I'm not suggesting set a bunch of lottery goals here by any stretch, and I'm not big on it. I don't buy lottery tickets. But I just want you to realize there may be a level of understanding about how to manifest goals that's beyond what you or I consciously understand. And this woman certainly was pretty good at it. She's not the only person. I shared her story one time, and a couple from Detroit listened to the story and got really inspired, and they just said, hey, as long as she can get this, why doesn't she ask for bigger numbers? We're going to do this thing, and we're going to make a million dollars. And I got to kind of grit my teeth, and I said, look, that's not what I told the story for. But they got so into it, and they followed all the instructions. They set their goals. They got strong enough wise. They created the pressure, and they did something else that I teach. And that is to make your goals so real, to get, once you know what your goals are, to make them so real in your mind that it feels as if you already have them. When you get to that level where your brain actually believes it's already happened, something clicks. And oftentimes, within a short period of time, that goal becomes realized. I mean, in physical situations, things start to happen. I know this sounds metaphysical, but all I can tell you is it's worked in my life and it's worked for other people. This couple went back and started telling people they'd won this lottery. And I kind of, quite honestly, got a little upset. And they said, look, you said, make it real. It's so real for us now. I mean, we have a hard time distinguishing. And sure enough, they did not win the lottery two times in a row. But the third time they won, and they won over $1 million. Their story is pretty legendary in our alumni group in the Detroit area, and in fact, across the country. So I want you to know that people around them said they were nuts, but they understood the power of being able to create something first in our mind. Everything around you in your life right now started out at one time as a thought. I mean, think about it. What are some things that you have in your life right now? Some relationships, some people, some skills, some beliefs, maybe a job that once was nothing but a goal. You're in that same moment now of creation. So let's go for it. And again, I'm just here to prompt you. During this tape, you're going to be doing mostly writing. And what I want you to do is ideally use your success journal so you've got a place to write these things down. We're going to work on three areas of goal setting. Personal development goals, which basically means your emotional goals, your mental goals, your social goals, your goals about spirituality, your goals about giving, your physical body, all of that focus. And we're going to spend a great deal of time on who you're becoming, who you're committed to becoming. That's a major set of goals because those are the goals that are going to determine your lifelong happiness or lack thereof. Two, we're going to work on thing goals. We're going to have some fun, and we all get a chance to be materialistic, even if you're afraid of that stuff. Or you can write down some of the things you want to have in your life, some things you want to do in your life. And then thirdly, we're going to work on economic goals, because economics is something that plays a major role in people's states. A lot of people say, well, money doesn't really matter. Yet I notice those are the same people that are stressed out of their mind and treating people around them harshly because they feel the stress of not having enough. So we're going to make sure you get clear on what do you want economically. So let's start with the personal development goals. So here's how I want you to approach this, if you would. One, right now, put yourself in a state of mind of absolute total faith and absolute expectation that you can create anything you want. In fact, I'll tell you the best state to get in. I'd like you to imagine, if you would, that you're a little kid again. See, if you're a little kid and pretend it's Christmas Eve, because I can tell you something about little kids and Christmas. If they're going to go talk to Santa, they have no problem coming up with a list. Now, if you go to an adult and you say, what are your goals? Adults go, well, I don't know. Do you think we could do this? Kids, no way. Kids say, I'll tell you what I want. I want a swimming pool. In fact, I want two swimming pools, one for you, one for me. Yeah, yeah. And other kids go, yeah, yeah, we're going to get two swimming pools. Adults go, what are you talking about? 
You'd be lucky to get a tub in the backyard. You don't want to come from that frame. You want to come from absolute expectation without limits. You can get practical later. Right now, just get it out of you. I also want you to write as fast as you can move that pen. In other words, I don't want you ever to stop, if at all possible. Just keep writing things down. You can abbreviate them if you want, but for the entire time you're writing, write rapidly. So we're going to start with our personal development goals. And I want you to imagine, who would you like to become? What would you like to do? Where would you like to go? What would you like to create in your life? What would be some skills you'd want? What would be some abilities you'd like? What are some character traits you'd like to develop within yourself? What would you like to master? Under personal development goals, obviously, are career goals. What are some goals you have for your career? What are some things you want to accomplish? I want you to write for six straight minutes everything you can imagine that would be a personal development goal for you. But again, please don't let your pen stop and get creative, get outrageous. And I want you to come from a frame of anything you want to develop in your life, anything you want to develop within yourself, any place you'd like to go, anything you'd like to do or be in the next 1 to 20 years. So the time to begin is now. Get yourself in state. And when I say now, start writing as fast as you can. Your six minutes begin now. Go for it. Again, as you're writing, who do you want to become? What skills do you want to master? What do you want to learn? How do you want to feel emotionally about yourself? What are some emotional goals? What are some fears you want to conquer? What are some of your social goals? Who would you like to get to be close to in terms of your own development? What teachers would you like to have enter your life? Who would you like to study with? Who would you like to meet personally? What would you like to learn about? Where would you like to go in terms of learning? Would you like to learn to dance? Would you like to learn to sing? Would you like to learn to speak another language or many other languages? Would you like to put yourself in some challenging situations that would make you grow? Maybe swim with the pink dolphins of Peru. They bite, you know. They're different than other dolphins. What are some of your spiritual goals? How do you want to conduct yourself each day and the way you treat yourself and other people? What do you need to do on a regular basis to feel really good about yourself spiritually? would you like to read a year? What books would you like to read? Would you like to learn to act or speak in public? Would writing a book be important to you? 
Are there some environments you'd like to challenge yourself with? Would you like to learn to scuba dive? Would you like to live in a foreign country? Would you consider joining the Peace Corps for six months? Would you like to take in a foreign exchange student? Have them live with you so you get to know another culture. Would you like to become a big brother? What would you like to give in your life? What would you like to build? What are some of your long-term goals of contribution? Who do you want to surround yourself with as your friends, the people that will help shape your values and what you feel about yourself mentally and emotionally? like to learn to be on time, if you're not already? Would you like to learn to manage your time more effectively? Would you like to learn to manage other people? question though, what's the purpose of these rules? Why do we have rules in the first place? If rules can create so much pain, why even have them? Well, rules are important. Rules help your brain to answer the question it's constantly asking. It's what does this mean? Is this going to mean pain in my life or pleasure? If somebody comes and says, I love you, you got to ask, what does this mean, pain or pleasure? If they say, I hate you, what does this mean, pain or pleasure? If I say, hey, will you go skydiving with me? Your brain's going to ask, what is this going to mean, pain or pleasure? If you say, yeah, I want to go skydiving, it's because your brain has decided that going skydiving means some kind of pleasure, some kind of thrill, some kind of adventure, something that you're really up for. If you say, no, I don't want to go skydiving, it's because your brain has decided that going skydiving probably means pain. It means potential death. You'd be maimed. There'd be some major problem. So our brain is asking this question at every moment. The only way your brain can get an answer is it's got one of two choices. Either it can... Go through every memory bank you have, every single situation you've ever had in your life, and analyze, well, gosh, in this situation it was good, in that situation it was bad. In this situation somebody said they loved me, but later on they did something where they rejected me. In this situation they said well, they loved me and it felt good. If it has to analyze every single experience you've ever had, it'll take your brain forever to decide what things mean, whether it's going to mean pain or pleasure, and what to do to get more pleasure or to avoid pain. So what rules do is they're a shortcut for the brain. They help us to make quick decisions as to what things mean and what we should do to get what we want out of our life. So their value is they allow us to speed up the process of evaluating how to make our life work. I mean, when someone smiles, your brain doesn't have to go through a long set of calculations to figure out what that means. You have a rule. Somebody smiles, it means they're happy. It means they like you. It means they're outgoing. It means they're friendly. It means no pain and probably some pleasure in your relationship with them. If somebody looks at you with a frown or they look at you with a deep, harsh stare, you have rules about what that means, and those rules answer the question instantaneously. The challenges that come with rules are many. 
And we're going to talk about those here and how to make sure that we lessen the challenge and maximize the benefit of them. But the most important thing to remember about rules is simply this. Rules are the controlling factor of at which moments you get pain and at which moments you get pleasure. And remember, everything you and I do as human beings, we do out of our need to avoid pain or a desire to gain pleasure. Everything. You're listening to this tape for those reasons. Either because you thought, hey, this will be entertaining or I'll get something valuable that will enhance my life. That's pleasure. Or you thought, man, I'm feeling like heck and I really want to get a boost. I want to get out of this pain. I want to avoid future pain. I want to learn some of these things. That is the drive behind our behavior. So our rules determine when we're going to get that pain or pleasure. And it's important to set up our rules in a way that empowers us and doesn't disempower us. Let me give you an example. A very good friend of mine is an extremely attractive woman. She's taken incredible care of herself throughout the years. She's fit. She's vibrant. She's strong. And when she walks by, people get rather excited of the opposite sex. Now, what's interesting is she has a best friend who's massively overweight. And she looks at her friend, our mutual friend, who's fit and thin, and she says, gosh, how come she's so lucky? She is not lucky. The difference in these two women is only one difference, rules. My friend who's thin and slender and attractive, her body's in shape, she's that way for one reason. She has a set of rules, very specific rules of what she must do every single day so that she can have these feelings, this body, this vibrancy for the rest of her entire life. Those rules include things like every single day I must exercise. And she has specific types of exercises she'll do. And she doesn't miss. And so her body reflects that. She has rules about eating that are very precise. She must eat nutritious foods each day. She must eat foods that are fuel foods. She must eat low-fat foods. She must eat a comfortable amount of food. She has this huge list. When I ask her friend who's overweight, what must you do to be healthy each day? She said, well, basically eat good and, uh, you know, think right and, um, you know, do the right things. See, with rules that general... There's no way she's going to be able to move forward and be as healthy as she wants. Now, my friend who's fit and healthy, when she doesn't follow one of her rules, guess what her brain gives her? Take a wild guess. Pain. The greatest source of pain is the pain inside ourselves when we violate our own personal standards. And she wants to avoid that pain, plus she wants the pleasure of feeling good. Not just the way she looks, but the self-esteem of knowing she keeps her commitments with herself. That makes her entire life feel better. Not just physically, but emotionally, socially, spiritually. The woman is overweight because she has such weak rules. She doesn't give herself pain. If she overeats, that doesn't break one of her rules. If she doesn't exercise, that doesn't break a rule. So she never gets pain along the way. She has something much more treacherous. She experiences the massive pain of looking at the result of not holding any rules about health. You have some rules that are must rules for you and some rules that are shoulds for you. There are some rules that you will never violate. I call them threshold rules. For example, if I ask my friend who's really fit, what must you never do if you're going to be healthy? She said, well, you must never smoke. You must never violate your body with drugs. You must never, you must never. She has all these must nevers. When I ask her friend who's overweight, what must you never do in order to be healthy? She looked at me with a blank stare. She had no must nevers. So she's never in a position of getting herself major pain. She said, I think there are a lot of things you shouldn't do if you want to be healthy. You, know, you, you shouldn't overeat, and you shouldn't go without exercising you know, for weeks and weeks and weeks. And I said, well, do you do those things? She goes, well, yeah. I said, do you feel good about it? She goes, no, I don't feel good about it. So she gets a little pain, but not like a threshold pain. For example, what would be a must-never rule for you in a relationship? Now, if you said a husband or a wife must never what? 
A lot of people say I would have, must never have an extramarital affair. Some people, that's a should not. Would that affect their behavior in the long term? You bet. In fact, when I get people in relationships, if they're having upsets, invariably it's because they share a lot of rules, but for one person it's a must never or it's a must always, and for the other person it's a should. It's an important distinction then in the second point to realize people have conflicting rules. They have them within themselves and they're going to have them with you. And by the way, we all know who has the right rules, don't we? Who has the right rules? Whose rules are the correct rules? That's right. Yours are the correct rules. You know yours are the right ones. But the problem is the person you're dealing with in the real world has the exact same feeling inside. So maybe if we realize there are differences, again, we can have that awareness, and instead of making people wrong, we'll realize that it's just different upbringing, different backgrounds, different rules, and we'll try and look for a compromise that works for both of us. In addition, if we realize we have these conflicting rules within ourselves, with that awareness, we can begin to pay attention and we can begin to make new decisions and create rules that really unify us. So we don't feel like we're being pulled apart in our life. That unification gives power. That unification creates peace inside. And that unification creates a lot more happiness. Here's the third key point about rules. Remember this. Rules cause us to go on automatic pilot. See, rules are designed to speed the process up of making decisions about what things mean. Does this person love me or not? Is this dangerous or not? If I do this, will I succeed or fail? We want answers quickly so we can respond, so we can move forward. The challenge, though, is in doing that, we simplify our world. We start going on automatic pilot. Or we start reacting instead of responding. Rules cause us to delete a good deal of our world. For example, if you have a rule that says, if somebody raises their voice, it means they don't respect me. And what you're going to notice is this person raised their voice, and you're going to be all in reaction to the fact they don't respect you, and you're deleting the fact that maybe an hour earlier they were telling you how much they loved you or they were complimenting you in front of somebody else or they were trying to learn something from you, you're deleting all the other pieces of evidence that would cause you to know, hey, this person really does respect me. So be careful with your rules. Remember, your rules often make the world black and white, and the world isn't black and white. There's a lot of gray out there. You've got to be careful to make sure those rules are empowering you by looking at things, and instead of reacting, if something happens that violates one of your rules, stop. Take a breath and ask yourself the question, am I reacting to this or am I responding to the situation? Is my rule appropriate in this situation? Are there other ways of looking at this that if I looked at it another way, I would feel respected or I would feel loved or I'd feel like things really could work between us? Don't let your rules control you. Make sure you control your rules. And let me offer you a little idea that might help you in relationships. If you feel like we're violated and you're real righteous because this person is doing the wrong things and they've broken the rules and they're the rules that everybody else has. Hey, by the way, have you ever noticed in an argument, people can always show that there are 20 other people that believe the same thing they believe. We use social proof, other people, to back up that our rules are the right rules. Hey, you can get people to back up the idea that killing people is the way to live. What other people believe doesn't matter. What matters is what empowers or disempowers you in a relationship. And I offer you this possible thought the next time you start feeling righteous. Ask yourself this question. Do I want to be right or do I want to be in love? That might be a good thing to consider in the future. Being right rarely makes a relationship better. Being in love, you may become more understanding and you may just discover the difference in rules is not as important as the commitment you have for each other, your love and your personal and spiritual growth that you're sharing together. Here's the fourth point about rules. Take the time 
to evaluate your rules and discover are they empowering or disempowering you as a human being. This is a theme I've talked with you about constantly throughout our time together today. But I want to make it absolutely clear what I mean. When I ask you, are you successful, if you don't feel successful, the first question you should ask yourself is, why? What are my rules for success, and are they appropriate? Are they empowering me in my life? For example, some people's definition of success is they never make a mistake. That's a totally disempowering rule. It guarantees that you're never going to feel successful long term. It would be important for you to be aware of that, to see that that rule creates pain, and to sit down and say, what's a better way to measure whether I'm successful or not? What are other disempowering rules people can have? Remember again, what is a rule? A rule is a set of criteria, things that you have to see, hear, or do in order to feel like you're intelligent, you're successful, you're loved, etc. You know what some people have to have happen in order for them to feel they're intelligent? They have to feel like they always have the right answer the moment it's needed. Gosh, if I thought that, I'd be pretty stressed out of my mind. <laughs> I forget what I'm supposed to do all the time, don't you? But I don't question whether I'm intelligent based on that. Some people, in order to feel confident, have to know what's going to happen before it occurs. Well, there's no way you can ever do that long term. Maybe you get lucky once in a while, but life changes. Things occur. You can't be prepared for everything. See, my rule in that area is, in order for me to feel confident, I just have to remember something. Whatever comes up, I can deal with it. And you can do the same. Just by changing a belief, by changing a rule, we can start to feel confident immediately. Some people, in order to feel like they're competent, have to feel like they've done something over and over and over again, and every time they've done it, they've been perfect. Well, gosh, can you imagine? You probably never feel confident. Because I'm sure there's a time when you've done something and you didn't do it perfectly. We're human beings, and yet this person will never have that sense of confidence that comes from feeling competent. With a set of rules like this, a set of beliefs like this, you wouldn't want to begin things. You wouldn't want to start something new because, of course, you wouldn't feel competent at it. You'd feel inferior. And when you feel inferior, you don't behave very effectively. You certainly wouldn't be perfect. And, of course, all you would link to that situation is pain. My view of competence is different. My rule says if I've ever done anything like this and pulled it off, then I'm competent probably in this as well. I just need to do it once or twice. So that makes me more empowered. It causes me to really go for it. Again, we want to develop rules that cause us to take action, that cause us to feel the experiences of joy, that cause us to follow through, not ones that stop us. I'll tell you a classic example, one that destroys people in relationships. When you look at somebody and they're not in a personal relationship and they say they want to be in one, man-woman relationship, let's say. Why aren't they in a relationship? The answer is really simple. They have rules that make it difficult to stay in relationship. There was a woman in a date with Destiny recently and she was an extremely attractive woman, and there were several gentlemen in the audience that were trying to get her attention. And it became very obvious that she totally turned men off around her, and yet she said she wanted to be in a relationship. Well, I found out why. Her rules were simply this. For her to feel attractive, what had to happen was you had to pursue her constantly. And she had to reject you. And even though she rejected you, you had to keep coming back for more. You had to keep being attracted to her, trying to break down her walls. If you kept working at it like that, that made her feel incredibly attracted to you, like you were a powerful man. But you know what's interesting? She also had a rule that said, if you did that for more than a month, she lost her attraction to you. So guess what happens? A few few men, first of all, would take her rejection and keep on going. The few that did and kept on going, she'd feel attracted to for a while, but at the period of about a month, if they kept pursuing her, she lost her feelings of attraction. And if they stopped pursuing her, she lost her feelings of attraction. So basically, she didn't stay attracted to any man for more than a month. How's that for a set of disempowering rules? So again, you need to analyze what your rules are. 
just ask yourself the question, what does it take in order for me to feel like I'm successful? What does it take in order for me to feel intelligent, for me to feel like I'm loved? What does it take for me to be attracted to another person? And then ask yourself, are these rules appropriate? I have a question for you, by the way. Is it possible that you could be having a great experience and feel lousy about it just based on your rules? Is it possible, for example, you could be helping other people, making a difference, and not feel it? Sure, because you've got to set stringent rules about how you have to do something perfectly that you wouldn't get the joy from it. I'll give you a kind of an outrageous example. You know, people have come to me for years in private sessions, especially in personal relationships, and that seems to be the theme today. I guess it's because I've been helping two or three of my friends recently to make their relationships better. But back to the example I was about to give you. In the beginning of my career working with couples and groups, one of the things that really got me a lot of media attention, and it sounds a bit outrageous, but it really empowered people and helped them enhance their relationships, is I helped women who had never been able to have an orgasm to have orgasms. Now, obviously, I didn't touch them, and I didn't talk to them you know, sexually or anything like that. I basically just helped them to change their rules, and I helped them to change some of their conditioning using some of the other techniques that I've taught you in personal power. But there's one example I'll never forget. This woman called up, and usually when people called up and wanted an orgasm therapy, one of the questions I had is, I know I can help anybody to change any block they've had, but if they've never physically had the experience, maybe it's a physical challenge. So I got on the phone with her, and, and I explained to her that I couldn't guarantee her that I could really help her to get this result because it could be physical. But she really pleaded with me, and she said, you know, she wanted to get married, and this orgasm thing, the inability to have this experience has just shut down her whole life. And finally I said, okay, you know, I'm not promising anything, but I want to do my best. So she came out, and we sat down, and she brought her boyfriend, her husband-to-be, fiancé, so I started out by asking her, I said, well, tell me, you know, tell me what it is you really want. And she said, well, I want the ability to have an orgasm. And I said, well, you know, how would you know if you had an orgasm? And she gave me this incredible, detailed, graphic description that sounded like it came out of the local medical journal with information and words I'd never even heard before. Plus, the way she described orgasm, it was something that was going to last about six months. So I turned to her and I said, um, well, that's interesting. I said, and you say you've never had an orgasm. She said, no. I said, where did you get this idea that this is what an orgasm is? Because if I asked, you know, two dozen women what an orgasm is, I think you'd find that most of them would not describe it quite so clinically, nor would they describe it quite so explosively or as elaborately as you have. In fact, they would be happy with something a lot less than what you described and think that was the most phenomenal orgasm on earth. So I said, you know, I'm just really curious. How did you come to know that this is what an orgasm is? She said, well, years ago, um, I used to think I was having orgasms. And my head went, what? <laughs> I said, I thought you said you never have orgasms. She goes, no, I never have, but I used to think I was having them. I said, oh, well, what happened? She said, well, you know, I got together one time, and I was talking with one of my friends, and she described her orgasm. And it was nothing like what I had. And she said, yeah, that's what it's like. And I said, is it like that all the time? And she said, yes. You know, I was in this uh, beauty salon, and there were two other, three other women there, and we started all talking, and they said, yes, isn't that what you have? And she said, I was embarrassed, and, you know, that wasn't anything like what I had. And she said, you know, so I went out, and I got some books, and I read up all about what orgasm is supposed to be, and I wasn't having that. And she said, all of a sudden, I started getting depressed, and she said, I started eating, and I got overweight, and I started feeling frustrated, angry, and it's affected my relationship here with my boyfriend, and now I don't even know if I get married. She goes, I'm missing out on one of the most incredible experiences in life. I said, wait a second. <laughs> What I'm hearing you say is that at one time you thought you were having orgasms. She said, yeah, I, I thought so, but I was wrong. I said, how did you feel back then? Did you feel sexy? She said, well, yeah. I said, did you feel in love? She said, yeah. I said, were you happy? She said, well, yeah. I said, so everything was going great until you found out you weren't having orgasms. When you thought you were having orgasms, <laughs> everything was great. The day you found out you weren't really having them, that's when all heck broke loose. Is that right? She said, yeah. 
So I turned to her and I said, let me ask you a question. It's kind of delicate, but what do you experience when you're making love? She said, well, uh, you know, I, I experience this tension in my body that builds up and builds up, and it comes to a peak, and I feel good for a moment or two, and, and then it just stops. I said, okay. I said, does it feel really good? She goes, oh, yeah, it feels great, but only for a few moments, and then it just it's over. It doesn't last, and these things don't happen, and I don't have this particular movement in this part of my body. And I said, that's interesting. I turned to her boyfriend, and I said, you know, I know you're not a woman, but what happens when you have an orgasm? He said, well, it kind of sounds like that. And I have these feelings that build up inside me, and then I have this pressure and this energy and this excitement, and, and it builds up this point, and all of a sudden I hit this peak, and it doesn't go. I don't have all those other experiences. So I looked at her and kind of smiled, and I said, what are you learning here? She goes, are you trying to say I'm, I'm having orgasms? I am not having orgasms. She got real intense with me. So what is this woman's problem? Her problem is only one thing, her rules for orgasm. She had a great life when she thought she was having orgasms, but guess what? She got her rules from a bunch of her friends. You think her friends may exaggerate just slightly? Maybe not, but is it possible? Plus, she got all these clinical descriptions, and now she's measuring everything. And by the way, if you're measuring the level of your enthusiasm and excitement while you're making love, you're in your head. You're no longer connecting with this person that you love. So, of course, she loses her enthusiasm. Plus, she feels like she's missing out. Her rules have made her feel like she's missing out. When people feel like they're missing out, they feel angry, they feel hurt, they feel sad, and it all starts to compound. But you know what? Once she decided that these were the rules for orgasm, nobody was going to shake her from this. It took leverage to get it done. And all I had to do was ask her questions. I said, you know what? Is it possible that your friend's idea of orgasm is exaggerated? Or is it possible that different types of people have different kinds of orgasms and you're not missing out at all? She goes, no, no, I'm not having them. I said, great. I said, I don't think I can help you. But one thing you might want to consider. There was a time in your life when your rules for allowing yourself to feel like you had ecstasy, you were having an orgasm, were being met, how'd you feel back then? You told me you felt sexy, you felt loving, you felt close. How was your life working? Oh, it was great, she said. I was really on a roll. My, my practice was growing. My boyfriend and I were really close. Everything was wonderful. I said, great. And then one day you made a decision that said, unless this, 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 and that were happening, you weren't having that ecstasy experience. And since you made that decision, you've been in pain. I said, you've got one of two choices. Continue to believe you have to have these 22 criteria met for you to have an orgasm, or remember how you felt back then and focus on the joy and the passion and the pleasure that you're sharing right now in the moment. I finally got enough leverage using the techniques that I teach in personal power that she made the shift. Once she realized that her present beliefs, her present rules were creating so much pain in her life, and that they were just BS, belief systems, things that were keeping her from having the joy she wanted, and that her old rules for orgasm made her really happy. Once the brain links up, doing one thing is stupid because it's massive pain, and the other one is pleasurable, the brain makes a shift, and that's how your rules change. And in a moment of conversation, you could see the change in her face. She lit up, and I started talking to her about, gosh, what do you enjoy about making love right now? Let's pretend you're not having orgasms, but what do you enjoy about the process? And she started, you know, kind of to smile. And sure enough, I got her associated to her old rules, and her whole life changed right there in front of me. And then all I had to do was condition this belief so it stuck. And you know how to do that. I've used personal power. We do that through anchoring. The bottom line, I judge results, not just how people respond in the moment. And three months later, I got a note talking about how their entire lives were changed and how she absolutely loves making love. In fact, his only complaint is that she's turned into a monster just by changing rules. So realize the power that occurs when we make a shift in our rules. When you find your rules are disempowering, change them. And all it takes to change them is to make some new decisions about how to define 
success, love, respect, or any other aspect of your life. I hope everyone's enjoying Power Talk with Tony Robbins. Today we're learning about rules. I'm uploading the last piece of his talk right now. We're really talking about rules and how our own self-imposed rules can make or break us. And one of the things, when I first heard this um, talk, it's called Power Talk, Strategies for Lifelong Success with Tony Robbins. When I first heard it and I understood, and I've listened to this whole CD about rules many, many, many times. And once we understand how we impose our own rules and how people impose rules upon us, how we react to those rules is really what makes or breaks our success in life. And I think it's really important for us to look at how we look at rules, how we impose rules in our life, and also people's expectations as it relates to rules. One of the key things that Tony Robbins does speak about is how rules or the standards that we set basically govern how we feel and how we behave and who we ultimately become in our lives. It's, it really boils down to having a clear awareness of the impact our rules have on our, li our life as well as the lives of people around us. And simply by changing some of these rules, it can make us much happier in our everyday life. I'll just give you one quick, quick scenario because I don't want us to run out of time. Um, well, actually, before I do that, I just want to give a big shout-out to everybody who's listening in the chat room. I see – it's good to see so many people um, listening in today. I see Hospitality Diva. Thank you so much. I also see Cyber Mixtape Show, JFJ Live Talk Radio. Thank you so much, everybody, for hanging out with me today. I definitely appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in. Um, let me see who else is in the chat room. Give me one second. Let me just change screens very quickly because I've got a couple screens open. Oh, we have a guest listening in. Thank you so much, guests, for checking us out today on Life Remix Radio. Every Monday is our great beginning show where we learn lessons from other life coaches and other sources of information, just really to kind of keep us on our toes and keep us on point. So let's get into this last piece. And you're listening to Life Remix Radio with your host, Cy Brown. Last night I was talking with Ken Blanchard. We were sharing ideas back and forth, and we were talking about rules. And Ken shared with me the story of a couple of years back when he coached a soccer team. Now, Ken doesn't know anything about soccer, but he decided he wanted to coach a soccer team, and he got together with this other man who was a great coach. I think he said he was from Peru. I may be wrong about that, but the point was this man didn't speak very much English, but he was a phenomenal coach on the skills of soccer. So Ken said, I'll tell you what, you take on the skills side, I'll take on the human side, and we'll make this thing go. But we're going to make this really fun. So they got together, they got a team, but they didn't do what all the traditional coaches do because Ken's real turned off by all these parents where it's more important for them to win the game than it is for the kids. And so he decided that instead of going with all the other coaches and going to the draft, you know, that's where traditionally all these kids go out and try out and all these parents sit back and own teams and they try to figure out who they're going to try and get the best kids. They said, you know what? They told the other coaches, we don't want to go to the draft. You guys just give us whatever kids you want. 
They said, what? You're not going to the draft? What are you, crazy? You have to do that. You must do that. Based on whose rules? <laughs> Their rules, not Ken's rules. So Ken said, I'll tell you what, you know, it doesn't matter to me. It's fine. We'll just give us whoever you want to. Well, sure enough, in the middle of the frenzy of the draft, all these different coaches start picking the best kids, and they start feeling a little guilty. So they said, well, we've got to give them some good kids. So they gave Ken and his partner two kids who were really good, but nobody wanted these kids. And the reason was these were real troublemakers. They were always bad sports or creating problems on the team. They didn't listen to instruction. So they figured, okay, they're good. We can feel like we've met the rules of fairness, but we don't want these kids. Well, Ken wasn't stupid. You know, the one-minute manager, he knows a little bit about people and what they do and how to manage relationships, and he did something absolutely brilliant. He pulled these kids aside. He called them on the phone first and said, I want to meet you before practice. Meet me at 31 Flavors. <laughs> so they met at Baskin and Robbins, he and the other coach. And these two kids walk in trying to figure out what's going to go on. Every other team they've ever gotten on, they said, we know you're a troublemaker. You may be good, but you're not going to cause trouble on our team. That's not what Ken did. Ken has different rules about how to deal with people. He pulled them in and said, hey, what's your favorite ice cream? Got him a couple cones and said, you know what? I am so thrilled we got you guys because we weren't at the draft. We were lucky to get you. We know how skillful you guys are, and we want to make you guys our assistant coaches. <laughs> you can imagine the response from these kids. What? Yeah, we need your help. We can't pull this thing off without you. We need your help to really make this thing fly. That's a different way of dealing with people, isn't it? So after setting up these kids as coaches, now they have all this self-esteem brewing within themselves, and they're setting up rules now. They start holding themselves to a higher standard. They start operating out of the rules that coaches have instead of the rules of troublemaking kids. Change them completely. Then Ken decided he was going to communicate to all the parents what the rules of the game were going to be on his team. So he asked all the parents to come to the first practice. And he said, we'd just like to share with you the goals that we have this year for the team so you can decide whether or not you want your kid to play on our team. And one parent said, well, our kid was assigned to your team. We don't really have a choice, do we? And he said, well, of course you have a choice. Whatever you want to do, we just want you to be aware of how we're going to play. He said, we have four goals for this season. Goal number one is we want these kids to have great skills. We're going to definitely teach them to play soccer. And my assistant coach here is fantastic in that area. So we want them to be strong. Goal number two, we want to teach these kids to play team. This is a team sport, and life is a team sport. So we want them to understand they're not just an individual, but they've got to interact with other people to win the big game. Three, we want to make sure these kids learn to be great sports. If your kid's got great skills, but he's a poor sport, he's going to have those skills on the bench. He's going to be sitting there because we won't have anybody in the team who's not a good sport. And fourth, we're going to have fun. Those are four goals for the season. We just want you to know what they are. One of the parents said, well, what about winning? And Ken looked at him and said, well, we're not about winning. That's not what we're doing it for. Well, you can imagine that violates a few people's rules who are involved in sports. He said, listen, we're going to win, but that's not what we're here to do. He said, we're here to teach these kids these first four skills. If we teach kids really the skills of soccer, we teach them to play team, we teach them to be good sports, we teach them to have fun, he said, we're going to beat a lot of teams. But he said, winning is a byproduct. It is not our goal. Well, some people got real upset about it, but at least they knew the rules up front. They got a chance to adjust to it. And you know what happened? They went undefeated that year. In fact, they had one game where the assistant coach wasn't there, and Ken didn't even know how many periods there were in soccer. And he said it was so funny. He was getting a little bit stressed about the idea, and he arrived at the soccer field, and guess who met him in the parking lot? His two assistant coaches. And they said, Mr. Blanchard, we know you're probably worried about this, but don't worry. We'll handle things today. See, if you let people know the rules up front, you can have a lot of fun. If people's expectations are clear and are simple, we can all win the game of life. Start thinking of new rules, new ways of responding that empower you and the people around you. Here's point number six. 
Too many must rules create a tremendous amount of stress, both for yourself and other people. Let me give you a classic illustration of this. Think of the rules that we had in our society for women, say, 20 years ago. The overall rules of what did it take to be successful? Well, most people would offer some set of rules that would sound something like, well, what you must do, really, a lot of things you could do or should do, but what you must do is take care of your family, make sure they're in great shape. Is that the only must rule that women have given themselves in today's society? No way. Women today have to be super women. They have to do everything and be perfect at it all. They've got to not just take care of their family and their friends, but they've got to have the perfect body. They've got to go out there and change the world. They've got to contribute. They've got to stop nuclear war. And they've got to be the ultimate business person on top of all the above. I mean, think about that. Do you think that might create a little stress in your life, having that many musts in order for you to feel successful? And women are not the only ones in our society. Our children today are under tremendous stress because of the expectations. And a lot of them have just decided there are too many musts. I'm out of here. I'm not going to do anything. And they cop out. See, if we get too many musts, we just want to leave. We don't want to play the game anymore. We lose our enthusiasm and our passion for life. See, high self-esteem comes from feeling like you have control over events, not that events have control over you. And when you have this many must rules, the chances of them being violated is great. You're not going to feel like you're in charge of your life. You're going to feel like you're in reaction. I'll never forget the advice I heard given by 20 families, all of which had quintuplets. This is a program on CNN. And they asked each of the parents, what has been the most important thing you've learned that's given you guys sanity throughout this time? And the one message that was echoed again and again was simply this. Don't have too many rules. Because with this many bodies in motion, this many different personalities, all at the same time, if you've got too many rules, you're going to go crazy because the law of averages says they're going to be violated constantly and you're going to be in stress, being in reaction to all this stuff. I thought, well, it doesn't just work with quintuplets. It probably works in life. If you really want to succeed, make it so you don't have too many must rules. Have a few shoulds. Make the must the ones that are worth giving yourself pain for if you don't follow through, the ones you want to make sure you follow through on. And other ones make them shoulds or coulds and create a life that has a little bit more space for yourself. And here's our final point, point seven. Make sure you have plenty of must rules. How's that for a nice contradiction? <laughs> the point is this. We need some must rules to make sure we'll follow through, that we'll take action. Remember the example we talked about earlier. Anybody who is fit, anybody who is healthy, has some pretty strong must rules about how they've got to eat, how they've got to live, how they have to exercise. So we all need some structure. We all need something. The human spirit needs to resist against something that causes us to be stronger. And rules can be that context. They can get us to follow through. They can get us to cause ourselves to grow and expand. And what rules really are, again, are personal standards. And if we don't have any standards for ourselves, we won't expand. So life is a balance. You don't want too many must rules, nor do you want to go without them. Now, I've dumped a ton on your brain here in this session, this idea of rules. So remember what they are. Rules are your personal standards. They're your beliefs about what you must do or should do in order to feel a certain way, in order to experience something. They tell you when to feel good and when to feel bad. I thank everybody for listening to today's broadcast of Life Remixed Radio. To Ms. Pascaline Belgard, thank you so much for tuning in. Josh Fry, thank you for hanging out with us today. Hospitality Diva, JFK Live Talk Radio, and everyone else who joined us in the chat room, you have just listened to Power Talk with Mr. Tony Robbins 
Today's talk was Strategies for Lifelong Success, How Rules Are Our Source of Pain and Pleasure. Tomorrow on Life Remixed Radio, we will be talking politics. You know on Tuesday we talk politics for the full hour. Last week we had, I gave a two-part series and a timeline on this whole AIG debacle, and I will be picking it up live tomorrow. Today is the only day of the week that we have a recorded lesson. So for those of you who are new to the show, please Tune in tomorrow and you will hear me rant and rave about politics where I always come with facts and truth. So thank you so much for listening to Life Remix Radio. And always remember, we shall pass through this world but once. Any good, therefore, that we can do or any kindness that we can show to any human being, let us do it now. Let us not defer or neglect it, for we shall not pass this way again. It's your girl, Cy Brown, for LifeRemixRadio.com, and I'll see you tomorrow. Have, to, have a great day today. Bye, everybody.